Grr. Arg. Hello, and welcome to this week's podcast. Do you know what movie we're doing? Oh, you do, because you clicked on it. So, yeah, it's Halloween. But I thought I'd do something a little bit fancy with the music. Is it fancy? I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to stop it now because I don't want to get, like, done with, like, copyright. Yes, we're doing Halloween this week. Welcome to the Mixtape Podcast, where we review movies uh, from a screenwriter's perspective. I will be your host, Dean Stark, and I am joined by the most wonderful human being on the planet, Marcelo Inostroza. And I'll tell you why, because we were supposed to record this yesterday. And right up until Marcelo was like, are you ready to go? I was like, I can't do it. I was just feeling so sick. I was so unwell. And you know what he said? You know what he said when I said I was feeling unwell? He said, yep, no problem. We can do it tomorrow. Like not even, not even an issue, no problem. So I just wanted to let everyone know um, how – um, amazing he is. He's not just amazing on this, he's amazing in real life also. So Halloween 1978, written by John Carpenter um, and Deborah Hill, directed by John Carpenter. And you probably already know this, Marcelo, but I don't know if everybody else does. John Carpenter actually composed that theme, the iconic theme to Halloween, and he composed it in three days. Did you know that? Yes, I did. Actually. Yes, you did. Um, and, uh, and I just want to say, you know, uh, I'm glad that we're back today and I'm glad you're feeling better, but Halloween, um, is a very, very interesting film because it's, it's, it's unlike any films that were coming out at the time. And I, and, and I'm, and I'm so excited to talk about it, uh, on this episode with you today. Yeah, it's this is actually Marcelo's pick. I'm I am the horror Nazi. Okay? I am the horror ho. And he picks all the ho- he is picking all the horror movies and I'm like, "Damn, I need to like up my game because I'm like picking like, you know, Wizard of Oz and like all those movies. Even though I love them, it's like Marcelo's like, "Let's do Halloween and let's 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 do Final Destination 2, and like, let's do The Exorcist. And I'm like, oh, my God, I need, to, I, need to, I need to totally up my game. But anyway, today we're doing Halloween 1978. Here we go. Fifteen years after murdering his sister on Halloween night, 1963, Michael Myers escapes from a mental institution and returns to the small town of Haddonfield to kill again. So um, before I go into the opening scene, I just want to talk about the opening credit scene. So I don't like just unnecessarily long credit sequences. I don't like them. I think they're pointless. But this I give a pass to because A, it's got the iconic, the full iconic score. Um, and B, it's got this, I don't know, I like the lettering and it's got the, like the, the pumpkin and mm-hmm. and and the as the song gets into it and as the credits roll the pumpkin gets closer and closer and closer and closer to the screen which i actually never noticed before before i did this what do you think about the opening credits i actually really enjoy the opening credits as a person who loves opening credits uh except when they're unnecessarily long um i really like like you the 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 styling of the lettering and i really like that the theme for Halloween has this propulsive, this propulsive nature to it. It's just a couple of notes, but within a couple of notes, you know that you're in for something special, and you know that you're in for something terrifying. I didn't notice the jack o' lantern getting bigger and bigger as the credits kept going on. So uh, that's a good catch on your part because as many times as I've seen this movie, 
I've never noticed that before. It's really slow. So you don't actually notice it's happening until it's like, oh, was there a jack-o'-lantern there <laughs> the whole time? Because it starts off really small. Anyway, the opening scene, Haddonfield, Illinois, Halloween night, 1963. Um, listen, this is... I'm just, I don't know, I feel like I'm just going to say it. This is probably the best directed horror movie I've ever seen. The shots that John, I don't, look, I'm not a directing person. I don't see directing stuff. But in this movie, oh, my God, the shots that he was that he was doing, like, actually blew my mind, including this shot, when you just see a white house and it's just this normal white house and it's lit up, but it's black all around. So it's just like this house that's got, but it's on a suburban street, but you don't see anything else but this house. So it's like you just focus in on it and the the camera starts walking up to the house and it's it's bouncing up and down a little bit and you realize quite quickly, oh, this is a person. This is from a person's perspective. So the the camera goes and looks through the window and there's two teenagers kind of making out and they go upstairs and then the camera or the, the person who you don't see yet enters the house and grabs a knife from the kitchen and the guy runs downstairs and he leaves the house. And so this person or the cameraman heads upstairs and then sees a mask on the floor and puts the mask on. And when they put the mask on, it, it, it kind of goes over the camera um, to actually kind of solidify, hey, this is a person if you didn't already pick it up because you've got the two sort of eye holes um, that you would see out of if you're wearing a mask. And then the camera walks into a bedroom and there's a young, um, you know, almost naked girl sitting in front of a mirror brushing her hair and she turns and she's like, Michael! And then you just see this, this it kind of like in psycho style, you see this knife come out just like brutally like stabbing. You don't actually see the stabbing. You kind of just see the knife going towards her and then there's like blood, which is kind of what I like about this movie. You don't see a lot of blood or a lot of gore. You kind of just see, you see it, but they edit it in a way where you don't see it. I don't know. I can't, I, it's hard to explain. Anyway, so then the camera or the person runs outside and there's a car that pulls up in front of the house. And this is the first time the camera switches from the perspective of the person to the actual person. And we see it's like a 10-year-old boy, blonde boy, blue eyes, really cute. And the these two people that have pulled up, I assume that they're his parents pull pull the mask off and he's holding a, a bloody knife and that's it. That's literally the opening scene. I love it. I love everything about it. I love that John Carpenter chose to use the perspective of the camera as the person. And then you don't realize it's actually a little boy until the end like that. I, I, I think that that's genius. What say you? I really think that this movie does a fantastic job of putting you right into the world from the very beginning. First, like you mentioned, uh, we start off on just a house and only the house is illuminated everywhere around it, like you said, is pitch black. And the great thing that John Carpenter does is he gives you a feeling of claustrophobia right away by doing this opening scene in a point of view. And the great thing about the way that he directs this is that I don't, I don't know if you saw this, but he positions the camera very low to the ground in most shots. In, in in a lot of situations in this movie, but most particularly here. So as as we as we walk through the house with this person, 
he doesn't uh, um, he doesn't like like elevate the camera, so it keeps the camera at a certain level. So you're kind of like wondering why the hell is the camera so low? And then as the scene goes on, when when the person or the killer in this instance, which is Michael, goes up to kill his babysitter, and then he comes back down and he steps outside, and then you see that great reveal that you know the 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 the, the person that you've been following is a is a kid. It's just really, really affecting and really shocking. But my favorite moment of this opening scene is when he puts on a uh, a clown's mask on his face before he goes upstairs. The 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 visual trick of John Carpenter, you know, sort of putting the, uh, a mask on the camera or however the hell he did it. It's great. It's just so so fantastic. And again, it does a great job of letting you know. What type of movie you're in for, and you know, you know the tension that you're going to be feeling as we walk through this movie. Yeah, it's a fantastic opening scene. So um, after that, it, we go to Smiths Grove, Illinois, October thirtieth, nineteen seventy-eight. So seventy-eight. So we're skipping ahead fifteen years, and this is where we get an introduction to. Well, this guy's got. I don't, this guy's got three names. You can either call him Loomis, you can call him Dr. Loomis, or you can call him Dr. Sam Loomis. So we'll just call him Loomis because everybody else does. Um, we get an introduction to him. He's sitting in the passenger seat of a car. A nurse is driving. You can tell she's the nurse because she's got that old school, you know, the old school, like, what are they called? The head, like the hat thingies that they used to wear in the it's 50s? Caps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she's wearing one of those and she's driving and, and he's in the passenger seat. And they pass a sign saying Illinois State Hospital, and there's a shot of a pair of a of a of a um, uh, what are they called? Like it's like it's like a, a red matches on the dashboard, and you think it's nothing. You're like, why is he showing a pack of red matches? But it comes back later. <laughs> so, um, so there's that. And the nurse is a bit scared. And you think she's scared because she's driving in the rain and it's just downpour. And then Loomis kind of says, oh, it's okay. He hasn't spoken a word in 15 years. And then he looks at her and he says, don't underestimate it. And she says, it? Isn't he a person? And he just kind of goes, hmm. And so right with that dialogue, you go, wait a minute. Okay, you don't, okay, you kind of know who he's talking about, but you don't know who he's talking about. And you're like, okay, is this the boy? Because this is 15 years later, because nothing has been established yet. And the fact that he calls this person it really says that that he feels like this person is not human. It's an object. It's not human. Now, is he not human because he's just a, a shit person and he just wants to call people it? Or is he calling it it because you know, uh, it has no humanity. Like we don't know yet, but that's a curious way to describe something to get people's minds going. Oh, okay. And then the nurse says to him, you never want him to get out. Do you? And Loomis says, never. And you're like, okay. And then, okay. Is he talking about the boy? What, again, we don't know what's going on. The car pulls up to the hospital and we see, and it's actually really creepy. We see these patients wandering around. It's pitch black. Um, they're wandering around in the dark and all you see are their white, like, um, hospital gowns. It's like, it's like watching like ghosts walking around. It's really creepy how he did that. Um, the gate's not secured and the, the nurse is like, are they allowed to wander around like this? And Loomis knows straight away, fuck, something's wrong. He jumps out of the car 
and she sits in there. Now she does something really stupid. There's not a lot of things that I think are stupid in this movie, but this is stupid. So she's sitting in the car, the rain is pelting down the car. He's gone to see what's going on with the gate and she opens the window. I don't know if you would open the window. Like he wasn't, it's not like Loomis was coming back to the car or anything. Um, it's pissing down rain. And this is when a hand kind of grabs her um, and a patient jumps on the car and there's this huge scuffle. Anyway, he breaks the window. He pulls her out of the car. He forces the nurse out of the car. He steals the car. Um, and Loomis, Loomis comes up to the nurse and says, he's gone. The evil is gone. Again, you don't know what's happened really, but you know, something's happened. <laughs> so what say you? I really, <clears throat> I really like the way that John Carpenter built up the mystery of Mike Myers in this scene. And the, and the easiest way that he did that, or I shouldn't say John Carpenter, I should say the writer of this movie or the two writers of this movie, the way that they built up the mystery of you know, why Why uh, Dr. Loomis is so afraid of Michael was fantastic because, like you said, the way that he speaks about him, he speaks about him in a way that a, do uh, a general doctor doesn't speak about human beings that way. So you're like, what, like, like, what could have happened to this person in 15 years? Like, 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 what could have, what could have made the doctor so afraid of this one individual? Now, the the thing that I really like about this opening scene is that when they're driving in the car, you see the, the, the nurse woman smoking. I really like it when I watch older movies and you see women smoking. I that's a that's a thing that I have. So I I, I guess I just like to see people smoking in movies. Um Yeah, but, it's natural. That's why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of people but, smoke. But um look, uh you know, you know, with me saying, I, I, I thought that they did a great job of building up the the mythos of Mike Myers. There are some issues that I have with the way that they structure his character and Loomis's reasoning for or Loomis's interactions with other people, which I'll get to. But I just want to point out some things uh, about this scene. Um, the fact that it's not really explained why the inmates are out of the asylum was like, eh, okay, you could have, you could have done like a like a short explanation as to that, as to why that happened. Like, is like did did one of them try to escape, or is or or what the hell happened there? Um, with that being said, I thought the whole opening scene was very very well was very well done, but I thought that it was just there to show Michael escaping. I thought I thought that it worked, but it didn't work in some aspects. Yeah, I didn't actually realize that that was Michael that escaped until later. Um, quick, yeah, I just, because I have a whole issue with how does he know how to drive. Um, that's a whole thing. Oh, I'll, I'll get to that. I'll <laughs> yeah, get to that. That's one of my points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so after that scene, we're back to Haddonfield, and it's Halloween night, and we're in a quaint town. It's a perfect American suburban street. A teenager steps out of her house holding school books, and this is Laurie Strode. This Obviously, this is Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, 
as she's walking to school, a young boy approaches her and asks, you know, are you coming over tonight? And she's like, yes, yes. Can we make jack-o'-lanterns and popcorn? Yes, yes, yes. And she seems to have a really, really close rapport with this, with, with, with this boy. And right off the bat, you can, I mean, it's character development. You can see she's a nice person. She's, she's, um, you know, the way that she interacts with kids, the way that she interacts with people throughout the whole movie, but especially just with that boy that comes up to her. It's like, oh, okay. So already you've established she's a nice person. And the boy asks, um, why she's walking this way to school. And she says, I need to drop off a key at the old Myers house because her dad is a real estate agent and has asked her to drop off a key at the house. And so we see the house today, which is 15 years later. And instead of it being beautiful and white and perfect, it is just all derelict. It's falling apart. It's browning. It's like the gutters falling off. Like it's just, obviously nobody has lived there since that incident happened. Um, so the boy says like awful stuff happened there in that house. She doesn't believe him. She's like, yeah, you need to stop listening to what your friends are telling you. She just doesn't believe anything. The boy keeps going on about the house. Yeah. 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 Okay. Just stop listening to these people. And then she goes, look, I'm going to do it. Nothing's going to happen. So she goes up to the front door. She drops the key. Um, I think under the mat or at the front door. And as she walks away, there's a shot from inside the house and you see someone step out um, because the front door is like glass and it's just got kind of curtains there and you go, oh, okay, this is Michael's there. This is Michael. Or this is, a f- well, you don't know it's Michael because if this is the first time you're watching it in 1978, you don't know it's Michael, but we know it's Michael because we've seen it before. Um, so I just think it's a great shot of just Michael and you don't see him. You just see like a little fraction of his shoulder come into frame and you see Laurie walking away. And I never noticed this before, but this is what causes him to stalk Laurie because she was the first one that he saw when he went back to his house. Because so many times I've seen this, I'm like, why is he always, why is he picking her? Like, why is he obsessed with her? But then in watching this with my screenwriter brain, I'm like, oh, he's doing it because she is the first person he actually saw and, and he's crazy. So he's like, oh, I'm going to kill her, which makes sense because he's crazy and it makes sense when you find out exactly why he's doing it, when Loomis explains it at the end. Um, but anyway, your thoughts. Yeah. Um, I love the way that uh, first time actor or first time actress in this movie, when it was made, Jamie Lee Curtis is portrayed in the opening scene of this movie, because like you said, she's very, very kind to this boy who we know nothing about. We understand that she's, a student and we understand that her family is in sort of some real estate. Also, we understand that she doesn't believe in superstition. That will that will come into play uh, later at some point. But when she drops off the key at the old at the old Myers's house, right before Michael comes into frame, John Carpenter does something very very annoying but very very effective for people that have sensitive hearing vis-a-vis me. He plays, he plays, the throughout the course of the movie, he plays these out-of-nowhere piano cues that scare the shit out of me every time I watch oh, this yeah. movie. I, seriously, I have to, I have to, I, it's just with this movie, I have to watch this movie at a specific level to, to make the piano keys low enough that I won't <laughs> jump out of my skin. Um, but, but, but with that saying, that is a great, that is a great audio tip of the cap and that's a great device that he uses to scare the shit out of everybody with doing something 
as simple as playing a couple of notes on a piano. Also, I really like what you said there in that the reason why Michael is obsessed with Lori throughout this whole movie is because he's the he's Lori is the first person that he sees. So I really, really like that sort of like that sort of inciting incident to that that really propels uh the start of this movie forward. You know, I saw there is the similarities between this and Jaws is amazing because you'll notice throughout the movie, every time Michael comes into shot, the the, the theme starts playing. Like in Jaws, when the shark is coming, the the Jaws theme starts playing, <laughs> which I quite like. Did you notice that? Every time we see Michael or Michael's coming around the corner, the piano mu- music starts playing. Yeah. I mean, look, look, if you are, if you are, a master of your craft, like John Carpenter is, like Steven Spielberg is when he was doing Jaws. Like you don't, you don't have to show the audience something terrifying to convey a feeling. If you, if you know how to use the tools at your disposal, you can make the audience feel emotion without. You can make the audience feel emotion by doing very, very little. Also, a brilliant thing that John Carpenter doesn't a brilliant thing that John Carpenter does throughout this movie is that for most of the movie, you don't see Michael's face ever. Every time you see him is from the waist down or a shoulder here or, or, or behind it or behind the heads shot. So you never see his face. You always see what he does and the people that he torments, but you never see his face until almost the very end of the movie. Yeah. Like Jaws. Yeah. I thought, I thought that was great. Also, That is that is also doing something else to the people that are watching this movie because I'll tell you what, folks, what people can imagine in their own minds is a hundred times more powerful than what Dean or I could ever write. 100%. And if you if you understand that as a horror director, you already have one foot ahead of a bunch of other horror directors that have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, there's another short scene after that, after he watches Laurie walking around. We, we kind of cut back to Dr. Loomis, and he's speaking to a co-worker. And this is, I mean, we do get essential information. It's just a short scene. Uh, we find out that Michael has was his patient, uh, was Loomis's patient, um, and he says he knows he's going back to Haddonfield. And the other guy he's talking to doesn't seem to grasp how dangerous Michael is. Now, I don't understand... The whole movie, nobody believes that Michael is as bad as Loomis says. But if, you know, he was his doctor for 15 years, don't you think that people should believe him if he says he's he's like, he's one of the worst people he's ever met? Nobody seems to believe it. Everyone, oh, no, he can't be that bad. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> everybody just like dismisses Loomis. I feel so bad for him. Okay, I don't feel bad for him at all because I think that throughout this movie, I look... I love this movie and this movie as as close to perfect as a horror movie that I've ever seen. And this is one of the best directed movies, one of the best directed horror movies I've ever seen. But I will say that the fact that Loomis spends the entire movie trying to convince people that Michael Myers is broken, that he's awful, that he's a monster, that he's not human, that to me was a little bit weak and a little bit, and a little bit, uh, uh, asking for the audience to take a leap on the writer's standpoint. If I was going to do that, I would have had Loomis 
early on, I would have had, I would have had um, the short scene with the guy out of uh, the uh, uh, the scene that you're talking about. I would have had Loomis bring that guy into like his office or something and show Loomis interrogating Michael when he was younger. So we can actually see some physical proof of Michael being turned off. Or I would have had Loomis show this guy pictures of people that Michael has killed before. Because to this point, we understand that Michael has only killed one person, and that was when he was a little kid. So how did Michael get from being this little kid to becoming this monster that Loomis is that Loomis is postulating to everybody? To me, that's not enough as as a writer. You have to do a little bit more, in my estimation, to build up a valid reason for what you're saying about this person. I have a question. Um, so we know Michael killed his sister. Do we know why? Uh, no, because to this point, I mean, to this point in this movie, the person that Michael killed first wasn't wasn't it the babysitter or was it his? No, sister? It, was, it was his. It was um, Judas Myers, his his older sister. But we don't know oh. why he killed her. Okay, okay. Well, maybe. Well, maybe he's a sadist. Maybe he doesn't like people having sex. Uh, maybe I mean, but that's more. That's more um, Jason Voorhees. That's, yeah, that's yeah, that's more Jason Voorhees. But, but yeah, that, but, but that's, that's what bugged point. me. It's like that's what was point. the what was the motive? There was there was no look. I understand it's nineteen seventy eight, and like no nobody's nobody cares in nineteen seventy eight. It's still an awesome movie, but there are just a few things that I would have, just a few things that he could have put in. Like what was the motivation? And you're right. Like Loomis needed a little bit more. Um, we needed yeah, to see he, flashbacks of sessions so we could see how bad Michael really was because we didn't know how bad he was. No, and you know, you know, and. For us to believe what Loomis is saying is a big leap of faith that mm -hmm. us as an audience member shouldn't have to take. We yeah. should be shown how evil this guy is. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing, the other thing, um, I don't want to steal your thunder. So you want to talk about the biggest problem with this movie? The fact that Michael knows how to drive somehow? Okay. I'll talk. Okay. We'll, we'll talk about the next scene when Laura was in class and then, and then I'll let you roll with the, um, the car, the car thing. Cause I have thoughts on that too. Okay. So the next scene is uh, Laurie's in her, her classroom because she's in high school. She's sitting near the window and she looks out the window and through the blind across the street, she sees a car parked. I love this shot though. Um, Michael is standing behind the car. So you can see the car. You can see him standing behind the car, but you kind of have to squint. You're like, is he just white? Is he wearing a mask? Like it's a really, really good shot to just like freak you the fuck out. I thought, um, it's a great shot. But what I really love about this scene is the teacher and what they're talking about in class. And they're talking about fate. And the teacher is saying, basically, your fate never changes. And I love that because I don't know if people picked up on what the teacher was actually saying. They're probably too busy about going, oh, is that Michael? No, the teacher is talking about how your fate does not change, which is like a precursor to what's about to happen. So anyway, Laurie looks back out the window and the car and Michael are gone. I love that scene. I love it. I love the shots he used. I love what the teacher was talking about in the class. But how does he know how to drive? Go for it. Take it. Take it away. 
Yeah, when uh, well, well, well. First, I want to address the scene that Dean just talked about when Lori looks out the window and she sees Michael standing behind the car at a at a very very long, uh, you know, with a very very. Uh, um, John Carpenter shoots that from a very very long distance, so you, so you're not really sure if you see Michael or if you do or if you don't. So I think it's a very very effective way to convey menace. And something and and something evil is happening. So I love the way that John Carpenter does that. He actually does it several times throughout the movie as Michael goes on his little spree, which we'll get to later on. But also, I do want to point out that the writers did something very, very interesting while John Carpenter was showing Michael outside the window. Like you said, the teacher talks about something relevant to the script. Or, or, or relevant to the, or, or relevant to what's going to happen later on in the movie. There are so many horror movies where you see people in classrooms and you have the teacher talking about something stupid that has nothing to do with the theme of the movie. But I like that the writers of this movie kept everything nice and tight, and they talked about something that actually mattered and that actually fit in with the rest, of the, fit in with the story that they were telling. So I really enjoyed that. Now, as far as the driving thing goes. How the fuck does this mental patient who's been locked up for 15 years, if I'm not mistaken, know how to drive? When when Loomis is talking to that guy outside of a building and he's trying to convince him how evil Michael is, Loomis says something he Loomis says something so stupid before he go gets in the car to go <laughs> towards Hatfield. Uh-huh. He says, oh, well, maybe somebody's harmed to drive. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? There's no way. There's no way in fucking hell that if Michael is as bad as Loomis says he is, there's mm. no way anybody in their fucking right mind would teach a mental patient to drive. For mm. what? Yeah. And, and Michael was probably medicated half of the time that he was in confinement. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, look. This movie is written wonderfully, but that's the that's the there's a couple there's a couple holes in this movie from a writing aspect where I go, oh come on guys, where where did your brain go in that moment? What I mean, what the hell? Yeah, look, that's been a contention with fans for so long. How does he know how to drive? One person brought up something that's plausible, maybe. So they brought up because um, when uh, Loomis and the nurse were talking. Uh, in the car, they mentioned that he's being transferred, right? And someone said that within the 15 years that Michael has been in the in the hospital, he would have been transferred a few times and maybe while he was being transferred, he just watched people drive. Like he watched the mechanics of it and that's how he knows how to drive, which is p- more plausible than someone actually teaching him how to drive because you can kind of learn by watching someone do something. So, is that for you? Is that a passable thing? Um, you know that. You know what? I'll I'll buy that because it is true. You can learn. You can learn. You can learn skills by watching people do stuff. I mean, mm. I mean, both both Dean and I are self taught writers. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, sure, I took a couple courses and here and there, but I I, I didn't really start learning. Until I taught myself, until and and until I was lucky enough to find a mentor who knew what the who know who knows what the hell she's doing, but that explanation is extremely plausible. I mean, it 
I mean, it's it's not great, but I could accept that to a certain extent. Yeah, and look, to be honest, driving is not hard. You have accelerator, you have brake, you have a steering wheel. That's it. <laughs> it's not rocket science. You could literally watch someone do it once and be like, okay, cool, I could do it. Now, will you do it well? I don't know. Um, but I, I, look, I didn't like the fact that he drove. I thought that the hospital should have been in Haddonfield so he could just walk everywhere. I, I didn't like the fact that he was driving. I thought it was very out of, out of character for him. You know, it's like, oh, I'm a serial killer, but I'm going to just drive to all these locations in like a mask and be weird about it. I don't know. I didn't like the fact that he drove. Um, I just, even if he knew how to drive, um, I, I, I don't know. I didn't like it at all. Yeah, um, I just wanna I just wanna throw in one more thing before you go into the mm-hmm. next scene, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw us back just a little for one second here. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of the movie, when Michael is being transferred with Loomis and the nurse in that car, and they're driving towards the hospital, and it's raining all shit. Um, Doctor Loomis says that Doctor Loomis says that Michael is up for parole or early release or something like that, and he mentions to the nurse. Make sure that you shoot him up with Thorazine. And I'm like, uh, I know Michael has no right. I, I know that you want to keep Michael in jail, but doesn't this man still have some rights? Like, wouldn't somebody say something if the guy that they want to see, if he's mentally stable, wouldn't wouldn't somebody want to make sure that he goes into the review as as... Wouldn't wouldn't somebody want to make sure that he goes into the review as clear headed as possible? Like, why mm. didn't somebody question why the hell do you want to dope up this guy before he goes up for release? Uh, um, you know, before he talks to a panel. So that to me was like, what the fuck? Nobody cares. They just let Loomis do whatever the hell he wants. But I think, again, it's also to show how dangerous Michael is because his doctor right. is going, you need to shoot, you need to you need to sedate him. Other, you know what I mean? So it shows, again, right. he's fucking dangerous. Right. But that would have, but you know what would have helped with that? If we would have, mm. if we, if we would have, <laughs> if we were given some examples to yes. how dangerous he was. That, you know. You know what I would like? Let's digress for two seconds. I would love a mini series on the interactions between Loomis and Michael over the fifteen-year period. Wouldn't that be great? Oh, that'd be that'd be great. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Could be written by John Carpenter, you know, or someone competent, not like the writers mm-hmm. today. But do you know yeah. what I mean? Put it on HBO. Oh, HBO has great writers. Are are you know what? I was thinking. I mean, I mean, this is obvious because he's your guy, but I don't know if he would do this. What about uh, Flanagan? A mini- yeah, hold- we're gonna we're, we're gonna digress for just a second. Yeah. What about a miniseries written by Mike Flanagan mm. and directed directed by Mike Flanagan and Lee Winnell? Ooh, oh, that would be good. Listen, with them, I- with them actually, with them actually trading off directing duties episode by episode, like Michael do one, you know, Lee will do another one. They'll, Michael, they'll, they'll Michael. Rotate. No, um, um, I mean, it uh, is Michael, it is, but Mike, 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 yeah, yeah, Mike, yeah, yeah, I would love that. I would like that a lot. That'd be cool. So yeah, I would like to see that as a mini series. Um, so, you know, anyway, HBO, if you'll, I could write it. Listen, I'm here. (laughs) I could produce it. it. Yeah, you could produce it. There we go. We could just do it. Anyway, let's get back. Let's get back. Let's get back. Let's get back Um, to it. Okay. Let's get back. Okay, so the next scene is um, the boy that Laurie was talking to. Um, he's about ten, nine, eight. He's about eight years old. 
Um, she, uh, we focus in on him and he's walking out of school. He's got a jack-o'-lantern. He's holding a jack-o'-lantern and he's getting harassed by bullies and they push him down and the jack-o'-lantern goes everywhere. And he's just, and you're just like, oh, this boy's just like getting shit for like, no, for like literally no reason. And so the boys kind of push him down and they run out and we see Michael step into frame and we own, this is what I love about John Carpenter's directing. We only see him from the shoulder down. And he steps into frame and one of the boys bumps into him and he looks up and he freaks the fuck out. And I love that because it's like, wait, what, wait, what does he look like? <laughs> Why is this kid freaking out? Like we haven't even seen his face. So, you know, by the kid freaking out that it's like, okay, this guy's going to look fuck- like fucked. Um, and then Michael gets into his car and he, that he stole and he follows the boy for like a couple blocks um, I don't know. I feel like I have an issue with this scene because he, he, his fascination is with Laurie, not with the boy. Um, and I, I don't know because I, I don't know how he knows. I mean, I guess he would, I guess because he used to go to school there because that's maybe the last memory he had. And maybe he, maybe he sees himself in the boy. Cause th- he kind of looks like him. Like when he was little, I don't know. I, I kind of don't know what the point of that was the scene. Well, well, maybe he was trying to protect him in a weird roundabout way. I un- look, 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 I understand that Michael is a sociopath and I understand that he's a murderer, but in that instance, he, he kind of protected the boy by scaring the shit out of these fucking bullies after Tommy fell on his face and smashed the poor Jack Lantern on the ground. I mean, I know that's, I know it's weak, but I'm giving you a possibility here. Yeah, I'll take that possibility because that's kind of what I thought as well. I just think that that scene didn't need to be in the movie. It didn't push the story forward at all, at all. Mm. had nothing to do with anything, to be honest. Like the kid getting bullied had nothing to do with anything. No, no, absolutely not. Uh, But I do want to mention here, I I do want to point out uh, um, John Carpenter's wonderful direction again. Again, shots lower the ground and John Carpenter is – is doing the Steven Spielberg School of Directing. He's not showing the shark. And in this instance, the shark in this movie is Michael. And I love the way that he does it because, again, I'll say it again, you don't see Michael's face until the third act of this movie, and it's fucking genius the way he does it. Yeah, it's uh, it's just yeah, I love it. I love the shots that he uses. So the next scene is Doctor Loomis is on a is on the phone. He's on a payphone. He's he's um, to Haddonfield Police, and he's telling them he's coming. Get ready. He's coming. Get ready. And you can tell the police officers just like yeah, okay, I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going on. So anyway, he hangs up the phone, and he sees like an abandoned car, and he walks up to it like on the side of a road, and he he. Uh, there's no driver. There's the, the 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 driver's door is open, and there's like shit everywhere. And then he looks on the ground, and he sees the red matchbox that we saw in that was in his car that Michael stole. And Loomis is kind of like, oh, okay. And in your mind, you're like, okay, Michael has been here, and it's from yeah, it's from the car he stole. Blah blah. So then. Loomis walks away and we see the driver and he's dead in the bushes. I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know if this, like, why did, why did, what was the, I don't know. Like, did Michael need something from that car? Like, why would he, why would Michael pull over, um, to kill a random person, um, for like, what would, what's the, what would be the point of that? He pulled over to kill the random person to change his getup. 
because when Michael escaped from the hospital, he was wearing standard hospital clothes. Oh, yeah, the overalls. Oh, my but, God. I didn't even think but, of that. But the reason why he pulled the reason why he pulled over was to kill this person to take his clothes to take the overalls. Oh my god, yes, you're right. You're right. You're right. I did not even fucking <laughs> It didn't even fucking compute. Yes, 100% I, you're right. I do want to bring up though when Loomis is on the payphone. God, I miss payphones. Uh go off. That shows you how yeah, fucking old Yeah, dirty German-fested payphones. Yeah. Yum yum. <laughs> yum. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> uh, I need a moment. Just. Mm. All right. Okay. So, when Loomis is on the payphone and he's talking to the to, to the police in ha- in, uh he's talking to po- he's talking to the police, trying to telling them that something is coming. I'm like, dude, why in the bloody hell do you expect these police officers to believe you? What proof are you giving to them? Are you calling them saying, oh, um, I just want you to know that there's a psychopath coming to your town and he's going to kill everyone. And I just, I just, you should just believe me on hearsay. Again, it doesn't work. If you want, look, Mm -hmm. if you want to, if you want to convey the danger of someone, especially to a fucking police officer, you need to come with evidence. You need to show this, you need to show the police why this guy is so fucking dangerous. You should not expect a police department who has never met you before to believe you off of hearsay and off of what you just say. That is very, very poor writing in my mind and very, very poor plotting in my mind. And that's one of the biggest holes that I noticed when I watched this film for this conversation. I mean, look... I, if I put myself in this situation, if I'm if I'm a policeman and a psychiatrist comes in and says, look, I need to speak to you. It's like, okay, so we'll go into a room. Yeah, what do you want to say? Listen, there's been an escape at the prison. Um, one of my patients has escaped. He's highly, highly dangerous. Um, you need to be, you need to be on alert. If someone said that if if their psychologist is I was the policeman straight away I'd be like all right I put everyone on alert I'd be like when was he last seen blah 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 because this is the patient's psychiatrist you believe them this guy has been treating Michael they don't really look as an audience we need evidence we need to see it right but they don't because I would just believe him I'd be like okay okay what this is this do you know what I mean like I wouldn't yeah, need but he- that yeah, but here's the thing. You say you just said that you didn't need that, but the 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 scene that you described to me, it sounded like you would have had you would have had Dr. Loomis come to the police station. Dr. Yes. Loomis just Dr. Loomis just tells this guy over the fucking payphone. Why am I going to believe him over the payphone? If he wants to tell me how dangerous this guy is, come to my precinct and then tell me there. If he comes to me there, I'll give him a little bit more credence than I would over the phone. Yeah, no, I get it. Like if I was on the phone, I would just say something like, my name is Dr. Loomis. I'm a psychiatrist at this hospital. There's been an escaped patient. I'm coming down yeah, to Haddonfield now. That? No, we did. That's the thing. We didn't see that's it. That's the thing. We, we should have see seen that. it. We should have seen it. We didn't see it. So you're right. You're right on that. Um, there's a lot of things we didn't see that we should have seen. Um, and that would have made it. Like, oh, like, if he had said that, would that have made it better for you? 
Absolutely. Like, like, yeah. like, like, like if John Carpenter would have cut into that scene a little earlier and have Loomis pick up the phone, dial the number and introduce himself and explain to the police officer who the hell he was and then go into the spiel, that would have worked a little bit better for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I 100% agree with you on that one. Uh, so, sorry, do you want to say anything else? I'll move on to the next bit. No, I'm good. Move on to your next bit. So the next bit is Laurie's walking in the along the street. She's got her book. She's finished school, and she's got two friends with her. There's a blonde girl, and then there's another girl that comes up as she's kind of got darkish um, curly hair. Typical teenage conversation. Boy this and boy that, and I made out with him and this and that. Like just typical teenage cheerleading. Oh, I got a cheer practice tomorrow. I have to learn three by the morning, and then I've got this and this and this. Just general chit chat. Um, and then Laurie spots the car that she saw outside her classroom uh, with Michael standing behind it. Not now, but with, when she was in the classroom. And she kind of looks at it like, mm, okay. And he dro- the car drives past them and he's looking directly at them. And his face is kind of still in the shadows. You can kind of see now he's got a mask on, but you still can't see it up close. But he drives past me, looks directly at them. And so the conversation continues. So they're just kind of like, oh, my God, he's just a freak. Yeah. Like whatever, teenage girl shit. Um, and so within the conversation of the bullshit conversation, it's established that all three girls will be in prox- in close proximity tonight because Laurie is babysitting, the friend with the curly hair is babysitting, and the girl that's the blonde girl is hooking up with her boyfriend. But they're all going to be like within blocks of each other, and so okay, and so you're like okay, so they're all going to be close to each other. That matters in the end. Um, so Laurie, Laurie sees so. <laughs> the blonde girl goes away. She's like, oh, I'm going to go now. I'm going to go see my boyfriend. She's kind of like the blonde bimbo, although I quite like her. She goes away. And so Laurie's walking with her other friend. And I lo- I think maybe this is my favorite shot of the movie. Maybe not my favorite shot, but one of my favorite shots. When Laurie sees Michael standing in the distance, half behind a, a hedge. And this is when you see him. This is when you see him top to bottom. And you're like, oh, that is really fun. He's just staring at like he's just it's just fucking creepy as shit. And her friend doesn't see her friend's like getting something out of her bag as she's distracted. And then Laurie goes, Oh my god, that's the guy from the car. And she, her friend looks up, he's gone. He's fucking gone. So her friend, so Laurie stops and her friend walks up to the hedge and looks behind the hedge and goes, Ah, oh, excuse me, you gotta stop harassing my friend. Blah, blah blah. I mean, he's not there. She's just bullshitting. So Laurie comes up and she's like, Oh, he's not even there. And you can see, I love this shot. Because you can see where the ledge is, there is actually a walkway that you can get to the other street. So it's not like he disappeared, he's supernatural. He's probably just walked down there to the other side of the street. I, I don't know if John Carpenter did that on purpose, but, you know, it, it kind of takes out of my mind, well, where did he, how could he escape? Like, where could he go? He just walked to the other end of the street. Um, so anyway, Laurie's stressing out and her friend's like, just like relax. Like there was no, her friend just doesn't believe her that she saw someone. Laurie mentions, no, it's the guy from the car. And, and, um, then she bumps into a police officer, which we will find out is one of the girl's dads, um, later on. Um, and that's it. That's the end of that scene. So what's it? Yeah. I, I, I really like this scene because it establishes that Laurie has friends. It also establishes, how her how how her friends feel about Lori 
Lori is a very, very quiet teenager. She's very, very shy. She doesn't date too many guys. She's very kind. And she's like the goody-goody. Or in or in horror movie terms, she's the final girl and she's the virgin. If you've seen horror movies before, you know what that means. Uh, but what I specifically like about the scene is, like you said, the writers do something very, very good. They establish that these three girls are going to be in a very specific location at the same time together. And they're going to bring proximity of each other. So I love the way that the writers used the boring exposition that they had to tell us something and to further the plot forward. Also, I like the scene when Michael sort of drives by them and he looks right at them. But before he, when Michael gets to the end of the street, one of the girls says, driving kills. And it, that, that line annoys the shit out of me every time I see this movie. It's so fucking stupid. Why would you say that? Michael <laughs> Michael is Michael is probably going three fucking miles an hour. And you're and you're yeah. like driving kills? What the fuck are you doing? It's just Where did your fucking brain cell go? But in that being said, Michael stops the car and you and, and you're like, oh shit, is he gonna yeah. It's it's something it's something very, very simple, but I just love it. Um, you know, the, the fact that so far Lori is the only individual that has seen this person or Michael, uh, in the movie so far also makes her to come off as paranoid and out of her mind. So I also love the way that the writers did that sort of, sort of turning everybody against Lori in some fashion. Look, to be honest, they're all fucking stupid anyway, but. I but I like what the writers tried to do with that. Yeah, I I agree. I think it was good um, character setup for all the girls. For you know, not that you need character setups for them because you know, spoiler alert, they're cannon fodder. But I I liked the, I liked her friends, and I didn't like it when they died. So you know, they did a good job with that. Uh, moving on, so Laurie gets home. She goes upstairs and she looks out her window onto into her neighbor's backyard and she sees Michael standing there staring up at her um, behind clothing, behind like white sheets on the clothing line. And it's creepy as shit. Like imagine imagine looking out your window and there's someone standing there staring at you. Like I don't, I, I don't care who the fuck it is. I don't care who the fuck you are. It's creepy as shit. And so she kind of steps back and then she looks again and then he's gone. And now she starts to freak out. She's seen him at her school. She's seen him drive by. She's seen him standing behind the ledge looking at her. And now he's fucking standing there looking up at her window, her bedroom window. Like she's freaking out. She's like, okay, this is not in my head. This is some weirdo that wears a mask. I don't know. Then the phone rings and she answers. There's no one there. She says, hello, hello, hello. She has, she hangs up, freaks out even more. And then the phone rings again and she answers and she goes, oh my God, why'd you hang up on me? And she's like, oh, oh my God. She goes, I couldn't hear anything. And so it's like, okay, it's her friend calling her. It's not some fucking weirdo. Um, that's the scene. But I don't know if you noticed this behind Laurie, while she's on the phone, there is a doll. And sitting on like a, a ledge or a, a something. That doll is actually the exact same brand as the original Annabelle doll. <laughs> Not that John Carpenter could have known that. Not the Annabelle doll from the movie. The, the original doll that the Annabelle movie is based on, that's the doll that's sitting behind oh, wow. Laurie. 
Wait a second. So are you telling me that that James Wong, like like saw Halloween when he was a kid and probably took that as inspiration to create the whole Annabelle series? Oh, that's no, 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 no. The Annabelle movie is based off of a real life doll, and that's that was the doll said to be, and, and that's the doll, the real doll that's said to be possessed. That's oh my god, the doll, <laughs> not the movie, oh, wow. the real doll. Oh wow, I I I've never noticed that before, and I never knew that. Do you, so so do you think? Well, do you think that John Carpenter knew that? No, I don't know. No, how no, no, no. There's no correlation at all. It's just those were the dolls that you could just I don't know get at the time. But it's oh, okay. funny watching it now, and you're like, wait a minute, that's the ori-. look. A lot of people that have seen the movie Annabelle will be like, that's not the doll. It's not the doll from the it's movie. The- it's the doll that it's based on, the real doll. Look it up. And then watch that scene. It's the same fucking doll. And I just think that that is so awesome. There's no connection <laughs> at all. But it's fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, that, that's a really, really odd, really unique piece of trivia that I had no idea about. So look at you dropping a knowledge. Yeah. I, do, I, I, do, I do want to mention one little thing about this movie, another little quirk about this movie that I think is fascinating. Mm-hmm. In all horror movies of the time, all scary movies took place during the day and the killers came out at night to to, to stalk their victims. And mm. this was one of the first movies to, to really say, okay, we're going to scare the shit out of you, but here's how we're going to do it. We're going to have our killer come out in the middle of the day. So as as an audience member, you have no time whatsoever to relax at any point in this movie. Because all throughout it, Michael is constantly popping up in the middle of the fucking day. So you cannot relax one iota if you're mm. watching this movie for the first time. Because you have no idea what's going to happen and you're never safe as an audience member. Which mm-hmm. puts you in the same shoes as the main character of this movie, Lori. Yes. And sometimes it works, a la this movie. Sometimes it's a disaster fuck a la Scream 5. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you because thank you because that. I was thinking the same thing. Right. So the next scene is Laurie steps outside her house. She's still freaked out and then she her friend shows up and she gets in the car. Right? So that's that's just that's that's not even a scene. That's more like a fucking shot, right? So the next bit is Dr. Loomis is at a cemetery. And he's with he's with like the custodian of the cemetery, the gate the gatekeeper, gravekeeper. I don't know who the fuck he's with. And he's looking for the grave of Judith Myers, which is Michael Myers' sister, the one that he killed. And they get to her grave and he realizes her headstone has been stolen. And Loomis is like, okay, he came here. He came home. So he knows Michael so so well that he knew he knows he's got an obsession with his sister, which was not established because it, it should have been. He should have put more emphasis on the fact that he was obsessed with his sister um, because it was just like, look, it passes. The scene passes because it's like, okay, he's his psycho- psychiatrist, so maybe he would know that he would go back there. But there should have been a little bit more um, on the obsession because that because that's the thing. That's why he's so locked onto Laurie because it reminds him of his sister. That's why he kills the girls because it reminds him of his sister. But why does he fucking hate his sister? Why? Yeah, but yeah, but like we've like we've discussed, that's the giant hole from a writing aspect in this movie. 
everything that everything that Dr. Loomis says about Michael can't be really substantiated because us as an audience member didn't see it. And we and, and the only thing that we have to 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 base the the only thing that we have is hearsay. And as an audience member in today's climate, hearsay doesn't work. You got to do a little bit more work to 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 match it up to make it all fit. Yeah, um, a little bit more dialogue. Just just explaining a little bit more would have been great. Um, you know, but it look it's possible. I still love the movie. It's possible. Yeah, um, so yeah. Next, look, yeah. It's you know, possible. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for, I'm sorry for stepping on you there for a second. No, but no. I'm like, look, look, I look. We're having all these issues because we're watching this movie with our writers' brains. But if you just watch this movie as a regular fan, it works. Yeah, but, that totally but, works. But, but we're just thinking, we're just thinking of ways that it could have been better and mm. tighter in certain aspects. Yeah. Yeah. So the next scene is uh, Laurie is in her car. Sorry, Laurie is in the car with her friend. Her friend is driving. And Michael's car starts following them, but they don't notice because they're too busy smoking pot. <laughs> we notice, though. They don't notice. Um, so they spot a police car at an officer who turns out to be the, the driver's her dad. And um, doctor. And so that's it. So they like they pull up. They say, hi, dad. You know, what's happened? And he says, and the, the, the officer says, oh, someone's robbed the, this shop and they've taken rope and a knife. And you kind of go, okay, well, that's not a nothing scene. That's obviously Michael that's that's done that. Um, so that was a good setup for that. Um, and then the car drive, oh, don't worry, I'll drive safe. Yeah, yeah, I'll be home soon, blah, 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 blah. They piss off. Dr. Loomis steps in and approaches the cop and says, look, I need to talk to you. Um, and that's the end of that. That's that's literally the end of that scene. Yeah, instead of, instead of, having, instead of having Professor Loomis waste time in the phone booth, talking to this cop, or I don't know if he was talking to this cop or somebody else, why not have this first scene be Professor Loomis' introduction to the sheriff and have him want to talk to the sheriff and have the sheriff take Loomis back to his back to the police department and do a quick exposition scene where you could explain how fucking crazy Michael is by showing you actual fucking evidence. But they didn't do it that way. <laughs> no, yeah, um, exactly. Um, but look, 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 look. This scene, although it could have, although I kind of just rewrote it and made a hundred times better, you're welcome. Yeah. yeah. Um, although this scene, this scene does give us some exposition. Like it, it says that the fact that Michael broke into a store, he took knives and rope. So if you're being paying attention, you know what he's going to do with that. Also, it really does a lot to explain to us how Lori is not like her friends because her friends are really really brash they're 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 slutty little girls uh little, what the hell is that they're slutty people they smoke they sex they do everything and there's a there's a great line in this movie there's a great line in the scene where laurie says oh i want to go to the dance with somebody and her friend goes why don't you just walk up to somebody and ask somebody and she goes i want to go to the dance with uh, i think his name is mike trainer <laughs> And in that scene, you really understand that Laurie is really timid and really, really soft and sort of kind of weak. So I really like the way that they presented Laurie to be, you know, uh, 
in in various points in this movie because I think it does a lot in later scenes when she has to deal with Michael. Yeah, it sets her up as meek. It sets her up as reserved. It sets her up as oh no, I don't do that. I don't. I don't go up to boys. Like I don't. I don't have a life. I don't. You know, I'm just. I'm just me. I do my work. I come. I do my schoolwork. I come home. Like that's the setup of her character. So when at the end she kind of fights Michael. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. She fights Michael. Um, it's it's like it's an arc. It's it's kind of like a it's kind of like an arc to me. It's an arc. So, um, meanwhile, Michael is still following them. They don't know. They don't notice. They're still following them. How the friend. They, how, I'm I'm uh, just yeah. uh, just uh, uh, I just want to jump in here for a quick second. Yeah. How did they not notice him in the in the rearview mirror of the car? Because they're smoking pot. They don't. They're not okay. Focused. Oh, they're not. Fo- oh. She's. They're focused on it's like. Not focused. They're smoking. focused. Okay, they're smoking, and they're fo- Laurie's freaking out because her friend's like, "Oh, I'll ask him for you," and she's like, "No, you're not going to do." So they're they're too absorbed in what they're doing to yeah, notice the car that's following. But but John yeah. Carpenter uses really beautiful shots to establish, "Hey, Michael's following you." <laughs> mm-hmm. So I love the other that. Thing, the the other thing that I really like a nice little quirk that they gave Laurie's character when she takes a shot of the blunt that they're smoking in the car, she chokes mm-hmm. on it. So yeah. like. So, so you're, you're, you understand automatically that this is not something that she does all the time. Yes. Because people yes. who smoke weed or smoke in general, they don't choke on smoke. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. It's first time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you do it, if, if you know what you're doing, you never choke on smoke. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so Laurie's friend drops Laurie off at her house. It's not, it's weird because it was day and now it's night. So that was a bit of, bit of a weird transition. Um, drops her off at her house, uh, at a house, not her house, a house that she's babysitting at. Um, and um, then Michael follows her friend, which is she's just across the road. Her friend is just her friend is also babysitting, but she's babysitting across the road. And Michael seems to take a liking to her. It's a, I don't know. It's like I don't know. What do you think? The do you, yeah, I don't know. I felt like again it was Laurie, but again his focus is kind of like on the friend. No, I think I I think I think he I think he took a liking to Laurie's friend because Laurie's friend reminds him most of his mother. Um, oh, interesting, interesting. <laughs> because because uh, I mean I I mean I don't want to spoil it because we're going to talk about it when it happens. Mm. But the way that her character ends up and what Michael does with her once he finishes with her later on. Mm. Really, really backs up my point, and I think you'll get it when we get there. Okay. Uh, so moving on, we're with Dr. Loomis again and the cop, and they pull up at the Myers' old derelict house, and he suspects Michael is there. So Dr. Loomis tells the cop he met Michael when he was six. He was emotionless with the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. Spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because he realized what was living behind the boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. And then um, uh, Dr. Loomis uh, wants, what did I write? Wants to wait for him at the, oh, Dr. Loomis says that he wants to wait for Michael at the house because they kind of go in and Michael's not there and he's like, I'll wait for him because I know he's going to come back here. Um, I do like that scene because it was a little bit more explanation on Michael. Not much, but a little – did it? Did that satisfy you a little bit? Um, not much, just a little no. bit, but not much. But yeah. uh, did a tiny bit. But okay. again, 
but again, at this point in the at this point when I was watching the movie the other day for this conversation, mm-hmm. at this point I was like, you know what, this issue is not going to get fixed. I just have to go with it. So mm-hmm. this scene satisfied me a little bit. Right. Okay. Um, so moving on, we're with Laurie and she's babysitting. And she's babysitting Tommy, which was the the boy that she saw in the 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 first scene when we when we met Laurie. And there's a phone call. And her friend that dropped her off, who was only across the street, uh, she's babysitting a which she, she's babysitting a, a a girl, but she doesn't seem to give a shit. <laughs> like Laurie is like, what do you want to do? Do you want to watch something? Do you want to play a game? And her friend's kind of wandering around the house, like doesn't even care that she's babysitting. Um, so. The boy Laurie is looking after looks out the window towards the house her friend is at. And there's a beautiful shot, another shot from John Carpenter that's just epic. There's a beautiful shot of Michael silhouetted standing outside the house. And the boy, Tommy, he tells Laurie, look, 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 the boogeyman's there, the boogeyman's there. Um, Michael, we go back to Michael. Michael watches Laurie's friend. Um, outside the back door, so the back door's like glass. Um, oh, sorry, Laurie's friend oh, spills right. buck on her shirt, right, and on her pants, and then she just undresses. <laughs> she just takes all her clothes off and finds a man's shirt, and I'm like, what? <laughs> That's the weirdest shit I've ever seen. Yeah, um, that that scene really didn't make sense to me. And I just want to point out, I mean, I don't know if we went over this. I lost you there for a couple minutes, but it's okay. Um, she's very, very, she's like the worst babysitter ever. Like, like. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I brought that up, yeah. Yeah, yeah she's yeah, like, like, she's supposed to be taking care of this kid. And she's wandering around the house. She's not like, she's not attentive at all. And just to point out, like, she spills butter on her shirt, like you just said. And she takes off her clothes right then and there with the window <laughs> wide open. What the fuck is super, that? I mean, it's super weird. I mean, I mean, look, I'm a guy. I appreciate the nasty, but I'm like, if you're gonna do that, at least make it make sense. Like, yeah, it doesn't make like if you're like if you're at your house, I understand changing your clothes, but you're at somebody else's house. If you spill something on yourself, you just wipe it off. Like you just you just gotta. That's it. <laughs> you don't yeah, fucking get naked. Yeah, no, and no, and you know, and if you want to get naked, here's an idea: if you're at a stranger's house, go into the bathroom and do it. Don't do it in the fucking opening, in yeah, the fucking wide weird. open. It's so weird. I, yeah, it was so weird. Um, so anyway, they've got uh, like a, a German Shepherd dog, and the German Shepherd starts barking at Michael outside. Oh, I, and so I love this. Sorry, I know you I do. I don't like this. So Michael kills the dog. I wasn't a fa- like yes. you don't see it, but like I'm not a fan of like killing animals. You can hear it though. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't like that. I don't like it. All right. Okay, um, okay, okay, okay. I don't like it when I hear it, you know, because, you know, the uh, dog okay. is only trying to defend, you know. Yeah, the okay. dog doesn't deserve that. Okay, 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 okay. All right, all right. Are you, are, are, listen, are, listen, are, I just finished telling people what a great guy you are, and you're like, yes, the dog dies. <laughs> You've just <laughs> lost any brownie points you just earned. Oh, okay, oh, oh, okay, guys, but I just want to make it clear. Just because I don't like animals doesn't make me doesn't turn me into a complete monster. I just want to point that out. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Oh. Any, yeah. Listen, listen. Anybody that doesn't like animals, yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not even gonna go there. <laughs> oh, come yeah. on, come on. Yeah. You can, no, come yeah, on. Yeah. You can't play me like that. 
Listen, it's not me. It's our listeners. They'll be like, oh, he doesn't like animals. <laughs> Red flag. Red flag. <laughs> all right. All right, guys. According to Dean, I'm, a, I'm, 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 I'm the devil. I'm the boogeyman for not liking animals. Lock me up. <gasps> okay. Let's move on. <laughs> Yeah, let's I don't move wanna, on. Let's, oh, we could just oh. fucking go on that forever. Let's yeah, just let, let's move on. on. So anyway, after he kills the dog, her friend goes to the laundry room, which is like across the back. She has to go. She has to walk through the backyard to the little like out. There's like a little like pool outhouse? house, outhouse. Yeah, outhouse that's got the the washer and dryer in it. So she's not only undressing and putting a random guy's shirt on, she's actually doing her laundry. Like, is it that imperative that you do your laundry? Like, I don't know. The whole fucking thing. I understand because of what happens, but it's fucking weird. So she goes to the laundry room um, and the door locks behind her. There's a few scenes in this movie where the door locks from the inside. I just find that weird. How does it lock from the inside? Like, how do you not get out? I don't know. That's weird. So anyway, the door locks. Michael is peering in. Yeah, I'm sorry. They, I'm sorry. There should be a locking mechanism from inside the door. So there's no way there there the the door locking from the inside is physically impossible because all doors, yeah. I don't care what year it is, all yeah. doors have locking systems have a have have a, have a locking system on the inside where you can unlock the door. Yeah. I yeah. So I just found that a bit like, mm, okay. Like what kind of like like seriously, I mean I'm sure I'm being nitpicky now, but what kind of a system does what kind of a door doesn't have a locking system on the inside of the door? Yeah, I know. I don't no no none. Just thought just, just, what would be the point? <laughs> so you yeah. can't get out of your house. Um, <laughs> so anyway, Michael is peering in because it's like a glass door. She doesn't notice. She's too busy fucking trying to fucking putting way too much laundry detergent in the fucking fucking washer, let me fucking say. Um so uh, we, uh, what are my notes here? Goes back. Who goes? Does she? No, she doesn't go back to the house because she gets stuck. <laughs> yeah, she gets. Uh, she actually. Uh, once the door locks, she spends a couple minutes trying to get the girl that she's supposed to be babysitting, which to hear her, which doesn't make sense at all because she, the girl who she's supposed to be babysitting is in the house, which is across the way from the outhouse. So how in the world? Does she think that this little girl is going to hear her? That doesn't make any sense at all. And that was just dumb. And the second thing, she tries to escape through a goddamn window and she gets stuck. Yeah. So she can't open it. She's trying to scream to the girl that she's babysitting. But the girl that she's babysitting is just like too enthralled in the movie she's watching. Michael's there. He he doesn't go in though. He's just kind of stalking her. Um, and then she kind of looks back. She Every time she looks, he's just fucking not there. He just steps to the side or whatever he fucking does. Um, and, uh, so the girl comes, the girl comes in. So, okay. Laurie calls her and says, look, where is she? Like, where's my friend? Right. Whatever her friend's name is. And the girl goes, oh, she's doing her laundry. And she's like, all right, well, can you go get her? So that's when the girl goes and she sees that she's stuck. Um, like in the window. I don't know how she gets, she felt she's fucking no, stuck actually, in, So No, actually it's not Lori. Her boyfriend calls her. Her boyfriend's the one that calls the house. Oh, that's right. Her boyfriend her. calls. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's right. Sorry, sorry. I thought it was Lori. No, yeah, boyfriend okay. calls. So she gets out. Uh, the girl gets, gets her out. And so she takes the girl she's babysitting over to Lori's house, right? Across the street. And basically says, I'm going to get my boyfriend. We want to have sex here here's the kid and laurie being the nice person she is goes oh okay 
<laughs> she basically says, everybody's having fun but me. So, again, you establish people kind of walk all over her. People kind of just assume she's going to do it because she's a nice person. She's, you know, Laurie. But I, what I really love about this scene was when her friend leaves, in the background the TV's on and the TV um, says now for the horrifying conclusion that is awesome because that is a precursor basically saying the conclusion of this movie is coming up. <laughs> so I don't know if yeah. you noticed that, but I love that. I thought that was really ingenious to put that in. Um, what say you? No, actually, I did not notice that, but I noticed something else on uh, on the TV a little earlier when uh, a, a movie that the little a movie that uh, little girl and Tommy start watching at one point. But to your point. When her friend drops off the little girl that she's supposed to be babysitting and gives her to Lori, that is so unprofessional. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? You are supposed to be babysitting your child. You're supposed to be babysitting this kid. And you're going to drop them off just because you want to fuck your boyfriend? What's wrong with you? Yeah. But again, yeah. But again, look, but again, these characters are Finn. They're dumb. And they're supposed to be Ken and Father. But with that being said... They are nice people, so we don't want to see them get killed, but yeah. it's going to happen anyway. Yeah, um, um, in this scene, in the next scene, but finish yeah. what you were saying. But um, I, I, I don't know if it happens now, but at one point, Tommy and the girl that this other girl brings over are watching uh, the TV. And on the TV, the, the original version of the thing starts to play, like the, like the opening titles of the original movie pop up. On yeah, this yeah. really tiny TV, yeah. and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, so funny because John Carpenter, <laughs> that's his movie. He's gonna, <laughs> the, the, that's his movie. So I'm like, yeah. ah, that, yeah, that, that was good. Cool. I, I don't know if at that, I don't know if at this point, no, I mean, I mean, the the remake with Carousel came out in the '80s, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. uh, of which I haven't seen. Maybe we should consider that for later. You haven't seen. Um, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. You haven't seen The Thing with Kurt Russell? No. I've, no. I've never seen The Thing. I'm not even so... Oh, fuck. Why should I be so... No, I'm not, so, I'm not should, surprised. No, actually, but, actually, but we, should put on, we should put on a list. Um, yeah. But, you know, I thought that was... I, I thought that was very meta. And I really mm -hmm. like the way that, that, that uh, John Carpenter did that. Again, I don't like the way that Laurie's friends are characterized, but... They're supposed to be that they're they're fun, but they're cannon fodder. But then it was just annoying to me that that Lori's friends would treat her in, in in this way. I I guess I guess I guess I was just hoping for her friends to be a little bit more well rounded. Okay, so now we're moving on to the first cannon fodder, which is her friend that dropped the girl off. Um, that she was babysitting. So friend goes back to the house, which is across the street. She goes to get into her car. It's locked. And she's like, oh, fuck. So she goes inside. She gets the keys. She gets back to the car, which is in the garage, and she opens the door. And she doesn't – I don't think she realizes that she just opens the door. And once she opens the door so easily when it was locked before, you go, oh, Michael's in the fucking car. <laughs> he's in the car. Um, so he's in he's, – he's, well, he's in – spoiler alert, he's fucking in the car. So <laughs> she gets in and he I, I love the direction in this because he don't John Carpenter because up until now Michael has been been very slow. 
He's walking, he's driving, he's staring, he's stalking. But this, he sits up in the back and just grabs her, like, really fucking quick. And you're like, what? Like, from now on, he's fast mode, <laughs> Michael. <laughs> up until now, he was slow mode, and now he's fast mode. So that's the end of that scene. Oh, sorry, he strangles her, he cuts her throat. Again, you don't see it. Like, I don't think there's, like, even blood. Like, but you, no, no, you they've edited, yeah, no, there's not, but you, they've edited it in a way where you go, oh, he's clearly slashed her throat. But there's, it's kind of like Psycho, like, you see it, but you don't know what you see. But that's that scene, what say you? No, I think, you know, I think that scene is very, very, it's directed very, very well, because like you said, Michael to this point has been slow, methodical, and he's just been sort of stalking people. But when Michael gets down to what he's good at, he's quick, he's efficient, and he doesn't fuck around. And I really like the way that John Carpenter directs the scene because he directs the scene not in a very flashy way. He just sort of lets the camera sit in the car with Michael and the girl that he's killing. And it's just and it sort of just sits there and you watch Michael do his thing. And I also love the way that of, of how this poor actress has to squirm around and, and she's and she's struggling for life. So I love the fact that Michael is kind of slowly killing her to death. He doesn't do a quick either. He doesn't snap her neck. He physically chokes her to death, and I love that. Yeah, it's a good um, – I think it's a good kill. It's quick. It's efficient. It's cool. So the next scene is we're back at we're back at Laurie's babysitting place, and the boy, Tommy, he's looking out the window across the street at the house, and he sees Michael carrying her friend's body from the garage into the house, and he tells Laurie. He says, listen, the boogeyman's there. <laughs> And she says, she looks out the window, sees nothing, goes, you can stop making up stories. <laughs> stop it. Um, and so he's sitting there like, I don't, like, yeah, look, I get it from Laurie's perspective because every time she looks, there's nothing there. And so she's like, you know, because, again, it establishes it because he was watching the thing. And so he thinks there's boogeyman everywhere. He thinks there's, like, creatures and stuff everywhere and he's a kid. And she's just like, stop making up shit. Um. Oh. Yeah, go for okay, it. okay, but then, but then I come back to you with this. Mm. I understand that he's just a kid, but wouldn't Lori at least hear him out? Because doesn't she remember that she's been tormented all day by this guy that nobody, see, nobody has been able to see except for her? Yeah, that's true. But again, he's like eight years old, you know, and again, she does look, she, he goes, look, look, look. And she does actually pull back the blind. So she humors him. She looks, she doesn't just dismiss him. She looks and she goes, there's nobody there. Like, and he's like, but there was, and she goes, it's like every time she looks, there's nobody there. Like she just keeps missing it. So I understand what you're saying, but she does try. (laughs) And if she doesn't see anyone, like what could she do really? Right. So uh, moving on from that, where we're back with Dr. Loomis and he's standing outside the Myers place and the cop is just not believing Loomis at all and he wants to go. I wonder why. Yeah, I know. I wonder why. He wants to go and Loomis says, "Um, trust me, he's coming because the cop is like he's not coming. He goes, no, no, no. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. That's that's the that's the end of that scene. That's that's a really, really short scene. Any thoughts about that? That was a really short scene. And that did not need to be in there. Probably not. Like Probably like, not. like like they could have found a better way to I mean look guys, I don't wanna I don't wanna come off as I don't like this movie. I love this movie. But watch but when I watched this movie the other day with a spider span on, I was like, 
oh, that doesn't work. That could have been done. Why didn't you? I'm like, oh. So it was like, it was like a come to Jesus moment for me. Um, <laughs> like, like, look, look, look. If you wanted to do that, you could have done that in my version of the of the movie when Loomis shows up, he goes to the station, and then have Loomis say, "Listen, I'm going to go and watch Michael's house." Okay, and uh, and I just I, I just need you to let your detectives know that this is happening, that he's out there, and if you want to meet up with me later, that's where I'll be. Right? Yeah, that's easier, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. But uh, it is. again, again, they didn't do any of that, and they put in this ridiculous scene that really didn't have any point to it. Mm. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if there was a point to that. Um. So moving on, Laurie's other friend, her blonde friend, shows up with her boyfriend at the other at the house across the road from Laurie's house, thinking that thinking that her friend is there uh, babysitting. And so she knocks on the door. She enters. She's looking for what's up. So when they showed up at the house, mm-hmm. or before they showed up at the house, when they were in the car drinking beers, mm-hmm. is it just me, or did they imply that they were going to have a threesome with this other girl that they don't know is dead yet? I don't think so i don't know i yeah i know but i was like because because the guy goes okay we're gonna surprise her and then we're gonna take her shirt off and i'm like why would you do that the only the only reason that you would do that is because you want to sleep with them, right no because the other girl was going to get her boyfriend so i don't know yeah that's very odd i don't know i don't know i don't know why the writer had the the guy say that because that implies certain things and i'm like yeah, I don't I don't remember that dialogue at all, so I have no clue. Okay. Um so anyway, uh she walks into the house with her boyfriend, Blondie does, and she's at pitch black, she's yelling for her friend, her friend isn't there. So what do you do when your friend's not in the house? You start making out on the couch <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> That's what you do. <laughs> um and of course, Michael is standing in the shadows watching this unfold. And you're like, mah, mah, you dead. You're gonna die now. Um, that's that. Do you want to say anything about that? That's just that little scene right there. No, you can go. Go. Okay. Um, so we're back with Laurie, and Laurie looks out the window to see her friend's car, her friend's van, the blondie. She's just pulled up, she's in the house making out with her boyfriend. And oh, and this is when she says, Everybody's having a good time tonight but me. Um, so her friend calls the blondie and she says, Annie, which is the one that got done in the car, isn't here. Um, but, you know, Laurie isn't worried because she's like, oh, she said she was going to go see her boyfriend. So it's like, it's no problem. And Blondie's like, oh, she's not here. She's gone. And so is that the end of that scene? Yeah, that's that's pretty much the end of that scene. <laughs> Anything? Uh, yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of really tiny scenes of this movie, I feel, could have been cut out for time. They didn't have to yeah. be in there. Yeah. Like, 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 like. Did you feel that when you were watching this movie? Some, I thought. Look, I didn't think necessarily they could have been cut out. I thought they could have been extended to put mm-hmm. more information in that we needed to know, especially mm-hmm. the Loomis scenes. Yeah, definitely. But um, yeah, they could have been extended to let to give us more information rather than just being cut completely. Right. But again, right, right. for 1978, I, it worked. Right. Um, so Laurie's, so the next scene is Laurie's friend is, is having sex with her boyfriend in um, a house that her friend, 
it was supposed to be baby. So it's not even her house. So she's gone up to the random bedroom. <laughs> she's having sex in a random house, which is like totally like no. Um, and so the boy. So afterwards, the boy goes. The bo- the boyfriend goes down to the kitchen to get a drink. Doesn't turn on any lights or anything. Just tries to fumble around in the fucking dark. Um, and then Michael comes, basically comes at him, and uh, pushes him up against the wall, and then with one arm, and then lifts him up with one arm. And so you're like, oh damn, he's strong. Like if he can lift like a guy up, like a an adult guy with one hand, you're like, oh okay. So that I feel like that should have been established earlier that he was really really strong because this is kind of like at the tail end of the movie. Um, but anyway, that's that. It, a lot of things kind of should have been should have been. Um, addressed so he lifts him up with one hand and he plunges the knife into his stomach and he pins him to the wall look I have an issue with that because look I love the kill and I love the shot that that John Carpenter has used that it's like a wide shot and it's of Michael looking at what he's done with this guy pinned to the wall and you can just see the light coming in from outside because they're standing out they're standing in front of like a, a glass door I love that shot um I like the kill. I have an issue. You know, a body wouldn't do that. It wouldn't stay. You know, I'm just being an idiot about it. But I do like the kill. Um, so <laughs> we go back upstairs and I thought this was quite funny. The girl is still in bed, the blonde girl, and the door opens and it's this figure. He's got a sheet over him and he's, he's wearing her boyfriend's glasses, the 70s style glasses. And she's just like hey, where's my drink and, like, blah, blah. And the the figure is just Mike. It's Michael, obviously. Spoiler alert, it's Michael under the sheet. <laughs> he's just standing there looking at her, not saying anything. So she keeps talking to him and he's just standing there and not saying anything, which is just as creepy as if he would say something. Because imagine standing there talking to someone you think you know and they're just staring at you, not moving. That's, like, that shit's going to give me nightmares. So she's – and she kind of just goes mm, – Okay, so she calls Laurie, and as she's on the phone, Michael kind of comes up to her um, and strangles her from behind with the phone cord. And so Laurie's answering the phone going, hello, hello, and she's making, like, these moaning sounds, and so Laurie thinks she's just fucking calling her just to boast that she's having sex. (laughs) But as the moaning goes on, Laurie kind of goes, wait a minute, maybe this isn't because it's going on for too long, her friend's not laughing, nothing's going on, and then the call just hangs up. And I think Laurie at that moment, moment goes, uh, something's, something's happened. So what say you about that chunk of a scene? Okay, well, first of all, I think the best kill in this movie is when Michael picks up the girl's boyfriend and pins him against the wall and thrusts the knife into the stomach, and you see him hanging there. The one problem that I have with this scene, and it makes no sense at all, and I don't know why I have this problem, but John Carpenter does a great establishing shot with Michael standing there looking at what he's done. But the next thing that, or or before he does that shot, he does a really tiny shot of the guy's feet. (laughs) And the guy's dangling, yeah, yeah, and yeah, and the guy's feet go, they they go, they 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 start at level, but then they go down. I'm like, why the fuck? Why would you? show that is that look look john carpenter's shot selection in this movie has been impeccable the entire time but that's the one shot where i go what were you trying to do there john 
I, you know what? I like that shot. The reason I think he showed it was to show that he was actually elevated from the ground and to show how tall Michael actually is. Because oh, okay. when when he's pin, when the guy is pinned to the wall, he's actually like at Michael's height. Um, mm-hmm. So you can't actually, and it's so dark, you can't actually see that he's elevated from the ground and the knife is the only thing that's keeping his body up. So the dangling of the feet, I think for people that don't, wouldn't necessarily catch it is going, oh, he's actually pinned his body to the wall. I think that's why he used that shot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I was just watching that movie. Uh, I was just watching this movie the other day. And I was like, why is he? But 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 after hearing you explain, I'm like, oh, that's why he did it. So mm. now to now to address when when Michael goes back up to deal with the, the guy's girlfriend, I'm like, okay, where did he get the sheet from? And I'm like, fine. The but, linen closet. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. I'll I'll accept that. But here's the thing, though. When I'm a kid of the you know late '90s to early 2000s, right? Mm. And before DVD, this movie was released on VHS. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when this movie was released, I'm, I'm I'm getting to something here. Just be patient. When this movie was released on VHS, the 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 aspect ratio was full screen, so you didn't have the you didn't have the 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 film presented widescreen, which which means you don't have the black bars on the bottom or the top of your of your yeah. screen. You just have a full picture. Yeah. So when Michael comes in, the the girl starts talking, and then the girl gets to a point where she she's in bed, and she takes off her the the sheet. The, the sheet mm. that she has covering up her covering up her bits, and she goes, mm. she goes like what you see. And watching this movie in 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 now with the with the widescreen presentation, I'm like, that line doesn't make sense because we can't see because the aspect ratio is different. So I again oh. again 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 I again I'm a guy, and you guys can call me a prude if you want, but I'm like. That line doesn't work now because the aspect ratio is different. So oh, is that I, what happened? Because yeah, I was because that was weird. Because when I was watching that scene, when she pulled the sheet down and said, "Like what you see," I'm like, "What? Like what? What scene? Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was nothing." <laughs> yeah, the reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the reason why she says that is because on the VHS version, you see her bits. Oh, but, okay. But but in in modern versions of the film that have been released. You can't see her bits because it's in it's in widescreen format. Oh, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, it doesn't it, work. Yeah, it doesn't work. So, um, yeah, but the other the, the other thing I wanted to bring up is that it doesn't make sense that she would just talk to this chic guy. And I'm like, why isn't she more nervous? Why well, she thinks it's her boyfriend? Like, it's look, right. That is true. You know, she doesn't know anybody's in the cow's house. The sheet, the guy, Michael has her. You know boyfriend's glasses on maybe he's just being a bit of a dick um it there's no reason right. for her to think it's anybody else right also also b- before i talk about the phone triangle which i think is really cool mm. i also like after they finish doing the do that she starts mm. smoking i really oh yeah i really i really like people smoking in movies and i love when yeah. people smoke in movies after sex yeah i love that yeah they should they should do more of that nowadays but they don't unfortunately no they don't um now I I you know I thought I, I thought it was a really cool idea to have Michael kill her over the phone while she's talking to Lori. Mm. So to, to to really propel to Lori that something is happening 
and to make her nervous and to make her want to go investigate what is happening to her friends at a certain point in the movie, which is going to come mm-hmm. up here very, very shortly. Yes. Uh, so this next, I don't know, it's not really a scene. It's more of like a shot. So we're, we're looking at Dr. Loomis and Dr. Loomis spots the car that Michael stole. Now, I find this scene a bit weird because the car, Michael, um, as we know before, he was following Laurie and her friend and he saw um, Laurie being dropped off and then he he kind of did a U-turn and followed her friend who was across the street. So doesn't it lead you to believe that the car is parked where her friend's house is across the street from Laurie's? So how is Dr. Loomis looking at the car when he's supposed to be at the Myers house? The car is not there. And if he did spot the car, why did it take him so long to find what the fuck was going on? Yeah, that, yeah, that's a really good point. Why the hell would he... Yeah, that's a really good point that I didn't consider. Also, also for someone that is so concerned about Michael possibly being there, which at this point he doesn't have any concrete theory that Michael is actually mm. there. He just has a feeling. For mm. someone who is so nervous about this guy, he doesn't do very much. The only thing that he fucking does is com- mm. is, is, is sell a theory about a guy that supposedly is going to show up and kill everybody, but that that has its problems. And the other thing that he the other thing that he does that doesn't make sense is that he just goes to one location and waits. He doesn't take the initiative and goes. He doesn't go look for Michael. He just waits for bad shit to happen. And I'm like, yeah, what exactly are you doing? Yeah, he pr- yeah. Look, I get it because he thought okay, because he doesn't realize Michael's stalking anyone. So he doesn't know that whole he doesn't know what we know. So he's probably like, okay, this is where he would come. Why would he go anywhere else? There's no reason for him to go anywhere else. So I do get it, but I do understand from your perspective. He should have walked around the streets, tried to find like wet, you know, he was his psychiatrist for years. Like wouldn't he have some insight not that we saw any backstory of that, which we should. Um wouldn't he have some insight as to if he got out where would he go? But he didn't. Right, right. 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 That, you know, you know, that's all I'm saying. I, mm. What I'm saying is, which I, which you got right there, but I'll, I'll repeat it again. Mm. If he was so nervous for this individual, he should have gone out and looked for this individual actively mm. around the neighborhood yeah. like Dean just Yeah, said. I agree. Um, so Laurie, who's just gotten off the phone with her friend, she has an itch. She has a feeling something's wrong. So she decides to go over to her friend's place across the street just to see if everything's okay. And she enters the house and all the lights are off and she's calling out to her friend and there's no answer. And she goes upstairs and the only light on is the bedroom. So she enters the bedroom and sees her friend sprawled out on the bed, dead with the Judith Myers headstone that that um what's his face michael stole from the cemetery um standing upright on the pillows and she steps back and the the boyfriend's body swings out of the closet and bumps into her um and you can see right there just 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 by the body on the bed with judith judith myers tombstone you can see that his what he's what michael is doing is he's killing his sister over and over and over and over again. And so you you get them, you go, oh, that's the motive. 
that's look we don't know why he wanted to kill his sister in the first place there's no motive for that but there is motive there is a reason why he's killing people so then laurie backs up and a a cupboard door swings open to her friend her other blonde friend body is in there she's like shit um now there's a beautiful beautiful shot of laurie crying in the moonlight and michael michael is 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 michael's mask yeah, Michael's mask is just lit up enough in the shadows oh, watching her. So and it good. is it is a such an epic sh- delighting. <laughs> it's just lit up enough that you can see you can't see Michael, you just see his mask. And you can see him looking at Laurie and you know Laurie doesn't know that he's there. Oh, it's just it's such a it's a it's a it's one of my favorite shops shots in, in the movie. So he steps out. And basically goes to cut her and slices her shirt. And Laurie's like, oh, fuck. So Laurie tries to get out of the house, but is, again, trapped. She's trapped inside the house. She cannot get out. It's locked from the inside. Like, what do you – okay, so uh, but before I go on, what do you think about just, just, just that whole thing about her finding the bodies and everything? What do you think about that? Yeah, well, I, well, I completely misscrewed the entire reason that Michael killed the first – person that he killed because i thought he killed the first uh i thought he killed the 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 brunette woman because it reminded him of his mother but i i didn't i didn't entertain the reasoning that the reason why michael is killing these people is because they remind him of his sister i'm like huh that's Mm. interesting but but you know you know but then i remembered oh the per the first person that he killed in the movie was his sister so it makes sense it totally, totally makes sense. But I also I also love how John really set the scene up. Of course, Lori goes into the house. It has no lights. She goes upstairs. We see the headstone, check mark from a hat from a hat being mm. dropped on the ground. I mm-hmm. love how I love how the closet door swings open, the body of the guy that Michael Shishka Bob downstairs swings out of the closet and just off to mm-hmm. the right. Mm-hmm. Is the other body of the girl stuffed into a closet? That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the sh- but the shot of the movie is the shot that you just talked about. When 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 Laurie backs up and goes into the hallway, she goes into this little tiny corner, and just off to the right in the darkness, you, all you see is a very very faint, you know, image of Michael's mask. That's it, and it's just wonderfully done. John Carpenter's shot selection. The way that he set up the shot, the way that he blocked it, it was perfect. Also, I do want to mention the photography in this movie kicks ass. Because if the photography doesn't work, that shot doesn't work. There, the, there is so many ways that there's so many ways that they could have fucked up that shot and got it wrong. But the fact that they got it so perfect is just a it's just a credit to the photographer and John Carpenter. Uh, um, you know, in this film, it was just so, so well done. And it was so, so it, it was so well done. And it was ex- it was expertly executed. So Laurie is freaking out. She runs out. She makes it outside. She's screaming, help me, help me, help me. Um, she runs back to her place and Michael's walking over to her. I'm going to digress for one second. I'm going to bring up the wonderful genius that is Kevin Williamson. Did you notice anything about that scene when Laurie was running out of the house and back to her own house? Did you notice anything about that in regards to Kevin? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, what is it? I noticed it. I noticed it. 
when she when she runs out of the house and goes back into the house where and goes back into the house where you know she has the kids she tells the kids to run across the street to the mckenzie's and call the police and oh oh my god i didn't even pick that up that's not what i'm talking about but oh my god oh. that's amazing <laughs> and so, wow. so, uh yeah yeah so so seriously i thought that's i, I thought that i thought that the shit i thought that's damn it i thought that that's what you were referencing, but just uh, uh, but just let me let me, uh, let me wrap up, and then you can tell me what you're yeah, going yeah. for because I don't yeah. know I don't know what you're going for anyway. Yeah. So Lori, so Lori runs out of the house, goes across mm-hmm. the street to the house that she was really in, tells the kids to go to 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 to, to run down the street to the McKenzies to call the police. Mm-hmm. And if you're uh, if you're an Uber fan of Kevin Williamson, like I am, because Kevin Williamson is my idol, he's the reason why I became a writer in the first place. But mm-hmm. in the original Scream, Kevin Kevin does a nod to the scene that is very, very intelligent. So I really, really like that. But again, that's not what Dean was uh, referencing. So what were you referencing? Oh, my God. I didn't even notice that. Okay. When Laurie is running out of the house from across the street... She's running towards the house that she's babysitting, right? Michael Mm -hmm. is walking very calmly behind her. She's Mm -hmm. knocking on the door. Tommy, Tommy, let me in, let me in. And Tommy goes, what? And he doesn't know what's going on. And then he goes, oh, hold on, hold on. And then then he goes, and right when Michael is there, he opens the door. Is that not the exact same scene in I Know What You Did Last Summer where Helen Shivers is running away from the hook man and she's trying to get into her sister's shop? And she's like, let oh, me yeah. in, let me in, let me in. And the hook man's walking very close. And the girl, she's like, oh, hold on, let me get my keys. And it takes her fucking ages to get to the door. It's the same scene. Oh, yeah, that's right, except for the keys. Yeah, except for the keys. It's the same scene. So Kevin not only did the Mackenzie thing, he's taken that scene, which is so iconic, and put it in I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yeah, also, also... When uh, uh, the the um, the scene, uh, well, well, it doesn't happen now, but it, ha- it happens early. It happens later on, I think. Kevin also has not only taken those two uh, hallmarks of of Halloween, but he also takes something else and he puts it directly into Scream. And the way that he does it is really entertaining. But we'll talk about that when we get to it because it hasn't happened yet. It's going to okay. happen. So Laurie gets inside, and this no, is, this no, is... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It already it already did happen. Oh, go for it. I'm sorry. Um, sorry about this, but the the scene that I was referencing is the scene when Laurie comes into the room and she finds her friend's uh, body on the bed with a tombstone, and she finds her two friends mm-hmm. uh, in the closet. That scene mm-hmm. is directly in Scream with Randy watching the movie, telling Laurie not to open up the closet. Oh yeah, when he's on the couch. Yeah, yeah that's and right. He goes, and he goes, Jamie, don't look in there. And he goes, ah. Oh. So yeah, but you know, <laughs> you know, behind but on you, you. Go. <laughs> look behind yeah, yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, but on you go. Okay, so um, lo- this 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 is a bit of a leap for me. Um, I'll get your take on it. She gets inside. She locks the door. She sits on the couch, and then Michael is behind her. He's behind the couch. How the fuck did he get in the house? He's behind her and he tries to stab her and she runs away. Please, before we go any further, tell me how he's in there. Yeah, I don't I I don't know how he got I, I don't know how he got in that position. Also, 
what also when he tried to stab her he tried to go over the couch if yeah. if he if he knew that she was sitting on the couch why didn't he go through the couch i don't know i don't know right <laughs> yeah. why would why would he why would he wind up because if he winds up that gives her an opportunity to move but if he goes through the couch she can't see it coming game I over know. you win i know so he tries to stab her but she she grabs uh she stabs him in the neck with like a knitting needle uh, which yeah. really should have fucking ki- would kill anybody and thinks that that's the end of it which any normal person would that's the fucking end of it although i do find it strange she didn't call the cops fucking straight away <laughs> so um next we have okay so um i don't know are the kids still in the house because I no, feel like no, they're not. Did she no, already tell them to run to the Mackenzies? Yeah, yeah, she already told them. Okay. Also, yeah. also, I'm wondering: Did we miss that scene where Lori goes backwards and she falls down the stairs backwards, and she should have broke her neck? Did we already uh, talk? No, because she's not upstairs yet. Okay, okay, we haven't got there yet. Okay. Um. So now we come to the um iconic scene of Laurie in the closet, which was the scene that Randy was watching in Scream. This was the scene. Um, so she runs upstairs and she realizes that, oh, he's not dead. Even though I stabbed him with a fucking needy needle, he's not dead. So what is she going to do? She can't, I don't know why she doesn't run out the front door. <laughs> Another Kevin thing. I don't know why she doesn't. So she runs up the stairs and she runs into it. She gets into a closet to like hide from him. And there's like coat hangers up the top and he finds her and he, he's trying to get, he's got the knife and he's like trying to get to her. And then he, um, uh, she gets a coat hanger. Sorry. She grabs a coat hanger and she kind of just, it's one of those wire coat hangers that you can just kind of pull apart and then it becomes like, I don't know, a stabby weapon. <laughs> so she <laughs> stabby, gets stabby, the, stabby, sorry. stabby, 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 stabby. And she jabs it into Michael's eye and he drops the knife and he kind of staggers back and she grabs it and um, stabs him with it. I think she stabs him in the chest. Um, no, the kids are still there because, here, I've got it written down, because at first she told them to run and hide, right? And now she tells them to run down the street to the Mackenzies and to call the police. Because at first she said go upstairs and go into your room because she didn't know what was she didn't know Michael was in the house, and now she tells them to go to the Mackenzies. Right, 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 right. So there's another beautiful shot. No, this is the shot that I liked of Laurie in the doorway, and we only see Michael. Oh no, no, sorry. This is another shot that I like. Um, Laurie is in the doorway. She thinks that she's killed Michael. She's sitting down. She's at the top of the stairs. She's crying. And we see Michael behind. It's a beautiful shot. Michael is lying behind her, and then he just sits up. And you're like, oh, damn. And, like, Laurie doesn't know, but we know. Uh, it's a great shot. And then um, he gets up, and he kind of um, – oh, no, Loomis. We cut to Loomis, and Loomis sees the kids running out of the house. And then we cut back to Laurie, and Michael grabs Laurie, and he tries to strangle her, and – that's when I think that's when he throws Laurie down the stairs, which she should have probably broken something, but she didn't. <laughs> no, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, if I just could mention a couple things. First of all, you you mentioned early on in our conversation that this movie isn't really bloody at all, right? There mm. are a couple times when I feel a little blood would have been cool. To, yeah. Uh, I mean, to, to, I mean, a little blood would have helped if, to see Michael 
um, when he was killing Laurie's friends. Also, when Laurie stabbed him in the eye with a fucking coat hanger. Come mm. on, she stabbed him in the eye and little blood doesn't come out. Look, now I'm not asking for, I'm not asking for like one of those Hammer Horror films like blah, yeah, 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 yeah. buckets, but I'm talking about a little blood would have been good. The other thing that was, I just found absolutely absurd. Mm. And this is not a writing thing. I just found it absolutely absurd. Yeah. Lori falls backwards down the stairs. How in the bloody hell did she not break her goddamn neck? Yeah, I don't know. I'm like, what? She fell know. down the stairs backwards on her head. She was I know. The, like, there's no fucking way that she walked away with her head intact. But I know. hey, I know. it's it's movie magic. Also, did you pick out did you pick out how the audio got really bad in like the third half of the movie? Did like, it? like when Lori when Lori starts screaming, the audio gets really bad. No, I didn't notice that. Like like, like 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 every time she screams and every time she every time that Jamie Lee Curtis starts whimpering the it just sounds so bad so the so the dub so the uh, additional audio or um or uh, the foley or whatever the hell no well, mm. not the foley the foley is physical noises yeah, yeah but the audio just got really bad what were you watching it on no, I know. I had a no. I had a copy of it. I have a, I, I bought it on uh, on um, iTunes. Oh, okay, I don't know. I, I, but I, but but I but I but I don't think it's a copy. I don't think the problems with iTunes. I think it's just the film audio gets really oh. high when Laurie starts pitching and screaming. Oh, okay. I did not notice that at all. But you know, you've got like bad ears, so <laughs> yeah. there's that. No, there's um. That. So anyway. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's not a problem. I just I, I just wanted to see if yeah, you yeah. picked up on it. No, no, I didn't. So mm-hmm. Loomis runs into the house. He sees Michael. He shoots Michael. Oh, Michael hold falls up. off the. Yeah. Hold up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If I just could add one more thing. Yeah. Go. When the kids are running down the street to go mm-hmm. to Mackenzie's, they run mm-hmm. past. They 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 slowly they run past Loomis screaming down. They run past Loomis screaming going. To the end, of, to the other end of the street, to the Mackenzies. Why the hell does Loomis do nothing? He just watches these kids run out of the fucking house, and he does nothing. <laughs> well, it is Halloween, so maybe yep. you know what I mean. I don't know. Maybe he just thinks mm. they're having fun. I mean, maybe he just doesn't know what to do. I guess I don't know. I, I, I don't know, but I just, I just found that a little odd. Yeah, it was a bit weird. It was a bit weird. Um. So yeah, uh, Loomis is in the house. He shoots Michael. Michael falls off the balcony, uh, dead. Well, you know, we know he's not dead because <laughs> there's like a billion sequels. Um, falls off the balcony, and then when Loomis looks over the balcony, Michael is gone. His body is gone, and he's just got this look on his face like "fuck." Um, and that's it. That's 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 the end. I quite like the ending, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, the ending the ending was mysterious. It was really, really creepy, and also, which came, which which served to their credit later on. They they set it up potentially for a sequel, and I like before Loomis shoots Michael, the the mask comes off, and you really and you get to see the actor who oh, plays yeah. Yeah, Michael, yeah, yeah. and we've mentioned him before on this podcast, although I can't remember his name right now. Oh, that's not that guy. Me. So there's, there was oh, a few guys that, guy? no, that's Nick Car. That's not Nick Castle. Nick Castle was in the costume, but when it's, when Michael's mask comes off, that's another actor. That's not Nick Castle. 
oh what the well what the hell is with that why why did john do that um i don't know I, nick castle wasn't an actor like he just grabbed oh, him he's, he's like oh do you want to do you want to do this and he's like all right so they needed someone else to so, to be because if you know what nick castle looks like he doesn't look like a scary michael myers dude <laughs> they had to okay, well, they had to get someone that looks scary Okay, well, I don't know what Mike Castle looks like. I mean, I've only seen pictures of him as an old guy, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll send you a picture of him on set with um Jamie Lee Curtis. He it, it would not have it would not have been a good reveal if it was him. Okay, okay, um, but I but I do like that I do like that tiny moment before Loomis shoots Michael that we that we do see him take off the mask and we do see that he's actually mm. a living, breathing guy, something that they forget yeah. later on for the sequels, but that's yeah. a conversation for another time. Yeah. So if there's nothing else, I'm going to no, go to my cannot... trivia. Yes, I was just about to say that. Go to your trivia. Okay, first trivia is the budget for this movie was three hundred grand on a 17-day shoot and it, co- and it, it got... Um, 47 million bucks at the box office. <laughs> Can you imagine? 300 grand. Wow. Budget. Three, wow, that's that's, that's really nothing. Low. That's nothing. That's fucking nothing. That's, that's nothing. That's really low. Um you probably already know this, but just for people that don't know, the Michael mask is actually a Captain Kirk mask. Um they took they took the hair and the eyebrows off and they spray painted it white and they got it for $1.98 <laughs> at the bargain store. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, the original title for the movie was The Babysitter Murders. That's boring. That's super boring. Um, the the story is actually based on an experience John Carpenter had in college uh, touring a psychiatric hospital. He met a child who stared at him with the look of evil. So that's how he got the story. Wait a minute. A child who was actually in the institution? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, the dark lighting, like, for example, oh. when the boyfriend goes downstairs in the kitchen, there's fucking no lights on, doesn't turn a light on. Um, the dark lighting was out of necessity as they didn't have the budget for extra lights. Okay, well, all right. Well, there's, well, th- well, there's, the, uh, well, there's the filmmaking gods doing John Carpenter and the crew a favor, I guess. Yeah, because it worked. Uh, the last bit of trivia is all the actors wore their own clothing. Because I didn't have the budget for for clothing. Oh, oh, that's that that sounds familiar. We've we've talked about a movie that all the actors had to wear their own clothing because they had such a low budget. Which one was that one? Thirteen. Oh, thirteen. That's right. Of course, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my trivia. So if there's nothing else, I'm gonna wrap it the fuck up. All right, take us home. All right. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Halloween. Um, thank you to the fans, and we hope you got something out of it. We hope you learned something. And if you want to send us any emails, requests, complaints, annoyances, praise, anything, you can email us at themixtapepod at AOL.com. Coming up next week, we have one of the best movies ever. It is The Mummy. No, it is not The Mummy starring Tom Cruise. That can go away and die somewhere. It is The Mummy starring Brendan Fraser and uh, Rachel Weiss. So that is what we have coming up for you next week. We hope you enjoy that. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, if someone is kind enough to make you a mixtape, that must mean that they really love you. The Mixtape Podcast is a Balloonhead Productions presentation.